if you have a Bible or a smartphone or a friend that's next to you with one of those, we're going to look at a brief passage from the Gospel of Matthew tonight. And uh, as, you're, as you're flipping there, um, I'll, just, I'll set up this passage we're going to read from Matthew chapter 4 this way. A good friend of ours sat down with us over dinner, I guess this was maybe about a year or so ago, and told us a story about one of her friends who lives in New York City. She's in the big city in, in Manhattan, and uh, she was a photographer up there. And she had this great big golden retriever, which is kind of an interesting setup to have this big giant dog in this cramped, you know, high-rise New York apartment. Dog was old. Dog eventually passed away in its sleep. And it was a sad day for this person. Uh, But it kind of left this odd scenario because it's not like you can just take this big animal carcass and like go in the backyard and dig a hole and bury it. What do you do with a big like dead... A big dead dog. So she called the vet and explained her situation. The vet said, okay, if you, can, if you can get the body to us, we'll dispose of it. So she said, okay. Hangs up the phone and thinks, okay, how am I going to get a giant dog to this vet? So what she does is she takes all of her camera equipment out of her kind of big camera bag and puts the body in there because she's thinking, I'm not gonna, I can't walk down the street holding this dead animal. So she puts the dead dog in this uh, camera bag zips it up and kind of heaves it onto her shoulder, goes down the elevator, you know, whatever floor she's on, is walking through the streets of Manhattan with this thing, you know, kind of slugging her way down into the, you know, subway system, and she's sitting there waiting, and this really nice man could tell that she's really struggling with this big, heavy bag, and so he offers to help her, and so she says, sure, yeah, please help me, I'm just, I've got just a couple stops, and so he gladly kind of takes it from her, and then punches her in the face and runs off with the bat. <laughs> Thinking it's camera equipment. Can you imagine the face that he had when that when that thing and discovered what was on the inside? But if you think about it, great situation for her because it's like, okay, problem solved. Dead dog. Off my hands. Minor jaw problem now, but, just, but dog taken care of. Now, the reason I begin that way is because this dude thought what this bag was was a bag of camera equipment, and he was dead wrong. He thought this thing is. Uh, you caught it? Somebody caught it? He thought it was something, and it was something else entirely. Now, we've been talking about our story this week, and the reason I begin with this story about this dead dog is because I think it's very easy for us is that my, is that me? That's not me, is it? Hope not. If I played a trumpet right now, then it would make it would just weave it all back in together. But the reason I begin this way is because uh, if you think about our stories, we think we intuitively know what our life is about. We think that our life is about us. Life is about going to college getting good grades and then getting a good job and then finding a great spouse and having some great kids and making a lot of money and then having a big house and uh, raising an awesome family and maybe having some cool gadgets along the way. We want to be wealthy and successful and influential and comfortable and happy and that's what we think our story is about. And I just want to tell you on the front end, you're dead wrong. If you think that's what your life is about. 
Your story, we saw the first night, it has an author, your story has a hero, and what I want to show you briefly tonight is that your story also has a purpose. The question is, what is it? Why are you breathing right now? That's the question. I want to look from this passage real briefly in Matthew chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 18. It goes like this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, which is, by the way, is that not an amazing name? Maybe we could name our next child should we have one, Zebedee. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, here's what's interesting about the story. Back in the day, there were no schools. There were no universities. Some of y'all are like, man, I wish I was born then. No schools. But what people did if they wanted to be educated is that they would basically find a teacher, find a rabbi, and apprentice themselves to them. They would follow this teacher. They would shadow them. They would even live with them so that this kind of master teacher, guru, could kind of impart everything that they know. But what's interesting is that Jesus goes up to these people and recruits them to follow him, which is weird. It never worked that way. But he walks up to these two fishermen. You saw it in verse 19. Peter and Andrew, they're out there fishing. They're literally doing their job. Jesus rolls up to him and says, follow me. Drop everything on the spot. Follow him. Then in verse 21, he walks up to two other people that are there with their dad. And he says, come follow me. And the two dudes get up leave their dad in the boat and go follow Jesus, which I always think is a hilarious scene. The dad's just sitting there in the boat, fishing with his kids. They get up and leave, and he's like, what, I thought we were fishing. So he's just there. So Jesus calls these people to follow them. Now think about that word follow. The word follow implies that you're going somewhere, right? And even think about when you were uh, younger, back in the day, you would play follow the leader, the leader would do stuff and you would imitate it. So here's the question. Where is Jesus going that he wants us to follow him to? And what is he doing that he wants us to imitate? Well, let's keep going with this story. Let's just read one more verse. Verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus is teaching He's preaching the gospel, and he's healing people. What he's doing is he's dealing with people holistically. He's engaging them with truth, and he's healing their bodies. And so when Jesus says, come and follow me, that's what he starts doing. And that's really interesting. Because Jesus could have, if you notice, if you you ever read the stories in the gospels, Jesus never just does cool, fancy party tricks to, like, wow everybody. I mean, he could have, right? He could have showed up at the synagogue and be like, y'all check this out. I can have fireballs shoot out of my hands. Now y'all believe in me or what? He could have done that, right? I mean, he could have, he could have rolled out to the leper colony and said, watch this. Lasers shoot out of his eyes. That's possible, right? I mean, he could have. He could have said, check out that dude's fingers. Bam! Strips of bacon right on the spot. (laughs) 
He could have, but he doesn't. Instead, what do you see him doing? He's like feeding people, healing people of their diseases, preaching, bringing the dead back to life. Why is he doing that? The reason why he's doing that is because he's showing you his whole life points to what his heart is about, which is restoring everything that is broken. His whole life is in some ways a a, a promotional video to tell you what he is all about. What he is all about is restoring everything. People were not originally designed to be hungry, so he feeds them. People were not originally designed to be paralyzed, so he enables them to walk. People were not originally designed to die, so he raises them to life again. What he is doing and what he is all about, his passion in the universe is to restore everything that is broken. And here's where your purpose comes in. He invites you to join him. He invites you to participate in restoring everything that is broken, everything that is damaged, everything that is ruined by this thing called sin. That's why you're breathing right now. To participate in this great thing that he is doing. To restore everything that is broken for his glory. Let let me um, show you how to do this practically. There's a million ways that you can do this. But let me just, I'm just trying to think through what it would look like for you as you leave this camp to participate in this thing that Jesus is all about. When one of your friends is really sad and grieving and hurting, to follow Jesus, to participate in the work that he's doing would mean sitting with that friend, being with him and him or her as she weeps, maybe even weeping with them. Because you being with them and comforting them is bringing about just a little bit of healing into a place that is broken. Or think about maybe with your friend group. Uh, sometimes you have that person that you know is kind of on the outside of the circle and they don't really belong and they don't really fit in with your friend group, but you can just tell that they are churning on the inside with insecurity and anxiety for, for your friend group to like them. And to follow Jesus in that scenario would mean to move towards that person to extend a hand, to welcome them, to bring them in, to provide just a little bit of healing to this place of insecurity and loneliness. Maybe you've been really hurt by your parents and you're really angry at them and you have nothing but just anger and frustration towards them. To follow Jesus would mean to stop relating to them according to how they have treated you, but it would mean to forgive them to extend grace and mercy and love to your parents. Well, here's another example. Uh, You've probably heard a lot of things that you didn't expect to hear during your little cabin times this week. I know it's it's really easy to just sort of goof around all the time, and you have these really special moments right after these talks where you get together and you process and you think and you talk out loud and you share things with each other. And maybe there was someone in your group that said something last night or the night before that was just really heavy really deep, really vulnerable of them to sort of disclose. And maybe to follow Jesus for you would look like, okay, I want to follow up with that person when we get back to Knoxville. I don't want to just leave that bomb hanging at sharp top. I want to engage them, maybe invite them to have coffee. I want to follow up with them. To follow Jesus means to enter into all these little broken places all over the world 
and to bring about a little bit of healing, a little bit of grace, a little bit of tenderness. That's why you exist. That's your purpose. To be kind to those that mistreat you, to serve other people, to forgive, to lay down your life, to speak truth, to take social risks, and even talking about Jesus with your friends that may not know him. But let's be honest, because my guess is most of your lives look something like this. You wake up in the morning or the afternoon, and the first thing you do is you grab your phone, and you check Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and maybe your email, maybe hop on Clash of Clans or Boom Beach or whatever, you're, whatever app you're into at that particular moment. See what's up on Instagram, maybe kind of eventually roll out of bed and go get some lunch because it's probably like 1230 at this point. You get some lunch, you know, maybe take a picture of it, Instagram it, hashtag, oh, gross lunch, mom's the worst. And uh, after lunch, maybe head to, the, head to the other room, flop down on the couch, maybe pound through three or four hours of Netflix, maybe some video games. After Netflix, or maybe after that season that you just watched, you um, roll over and you hop back on the internet again and you go shopping, not because you really need anything, you're just kind of bored and seeing what's out there. Uh, after that, maybe you go back to your phone, more social media, check your email, more Netflix, more Xbox, more Instagram. You know what that is? Purposeless. That's you wandering through life without purpose. And I don't say that to scold you or shame you, because in many ways I regret that that, that describes my life, or at least what I want my life to be a lot of the time. But we are a generation of people that are distraction junkies. You, you're probably, I mean, I've been talking for 10, 15 minutes already, and you're already like restless to check your phone probably. We are distraction junkies. And what that means is that we just numb ourselves out to wander through life without feeling anything numb, aimless, purposeless. But the good news of this story is that Jesus invites you into something a whole lot better than a life of distraction and leisure and amusement. He invites you into this wild adventure of finding every nook and cranny of this world that is broken and damaged and finding out a way that you can move into the mess of it to bring about healing and redemption and love. That's your purpose. That is the purpose of your story and mine. I want to end with this. About a year ago in Arizona, there was a woman who was out walking her dog with her little two-year-old daughter. Some of y'all have seen our little two-year-old son kind of running around. He's about this tall, so you can just kind of picture. Here's this woman out in Arizona walking this dog with her two-year-old daughter. And the dog busts off the leash and kind of runs on ahead. And so the little two-year-old daughter begins to chase after the dog. And, you know, the mom's thinking, okay, they're not going to get too far ahead. And so up around the corner, the dog and the daughter go. And the daughter somehow steps on this uh, grate that was on the ground. And the grate somehow begins to flip open or it kind of comes open somehow. I don't really know how it happens. But some hole gets opened up and she falls into this pit in the sidewalk. And what the pit turned out to be was a septic tank. If you don't know what a septic tank is, when you go potty and you flush, a lot of the time... That stuff that went into the potty will flow and collect in this thing called a septic tank. So this is basically a vat 
that is filled up with raw human sewage. Two-year-old falls in and is submerged, goes under. Mom freaks out, calls out for help. There's two guys that happen to be relatively close. They run over when they see her screaming. First guy hears about the situation. The mom's saying, my my daughter just went in, and he dives in face first. On the way in, he inhales and swallows some of the sewage, so he comes up coughing and gagging, catches his breath, goes under again. Moments pass, and he comes up with nothing. Second guy jumps in headfirst. Two guys swimming, wading, searching. After four minutes, they pull a lifeless body out of the water, out of the sewage, layer on the sidewalk. Nearby woman comes over. There's now a crowd that has formed. A nearby woman comes over and begins to administer CPR, mouth to mouth, not really caring what this young girl is covered with. And after a few moments of CPR, the little girl begins to cough, start breathing again, and she kind of comes to, and she's reunited with her mom. And The reason I tell you that story is because that story is a picture of two things. On the one hand, it is a picture of Jesus, who dove into the mess and the yuck of our life in order to save us. They were so, these two people were so committed to saving this young girl, they didn't care that that filth got on them. And Jesus is the same way. He doesn't care that your filth and my filth gets on him and actually drowns him in the process so that we can live. It's a picture of Jesus. But secondly, it is also a picture of those who decide to follow Jesus. Because once you have been the recipient of that kind of mercy, Once you have experienced that kind of love, where someone would do that for you, that just, that can't help but transform you into a person that wants to do the same thing for other people. So that when you see other people's messes, you jump in. Not to earn God's love, you jump in because you already deeply know you have it. Is it easy? No, you get covered in junk. Is it hard? Of course. But this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, to jump into the mess of other people's lives, just in the same way that Jesus jumped in the mess of your life, to bring about healing, to bring about redemption, to bring about love. That is the purpose of your story. And I would like, to consider, I would like for you to consider that an invitation as you leave this place and head back home. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would enable us by your spirit and by your grace that all of us would begin to participate, if we aren't already, to participate in the work that you are doing in this world, healing and restoring all things, making all things new for your glory. Thank you, thank you that our stories are not about us and that we are not doomed to this self-indulgent, self-absorbed, narcissistic existence of meaninglessness. But we are freed to a life of giving you honor and glory and laying down our lives to serve you and to serve each other. Help it to be so in my life and in the life of my friends here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.